Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, if I've not had the privilege of getting to meet you yet, my name's Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, man, I have too many hobbies. I just do. If I had another 50 years in my life, I would, I don't know, learn how to weld or I don't know what. I, I, I love doing so many things. And one of those things um, that I've really been interested in the past has been um, backpacking. I've really enjoyed backpacking at certain points in my life. I remember re- reading an article from Backpacker Magazine, uh, and it was, it was talking about someone who decided to hike the Appalachian Trail. Now, the Appalachian Trail is a 2,000, about 2,100-mile trail that goes from Maine to Georgia. It's no joke. It actually passes by this mountain chain right here. You'll see people there all the time. It's this big deal. And so this person was writing about how they were going to go on this journey. And as they thought about their journey, they, they said, well, I need things with me. What do I need? I need a tent. I need somewhere to sleep. I need a sleeping bag. So brought a tent, brought a sleeping bag. Um, had it all in their backpack. They thought, oh, I, need to, I need to cook. I need to have food. So they brought cans of soup and a cast iron skillet. Now, cast iron is awesome when you're home and when you're cooking the steak. Like, it just cannot be topped. But it was a strategic mistake bringing the cast iron skillet, not because it did a poor job, but because it was so heavy. And so they started down the trail from Maine to Georgia. They made it like one or two days before they realized what a mistake it was, not only to bring the cast iron skillet, but also to bring the cans of soup. You can't find a heavier form of meal than a can of soup. In fact, The more mature of a backpacker you are, the the more seasoned you are, the more disciplined, the more discerning, the more prejudicial you are with the kind of things that you bring along with you because every single step you take, you are bearing and bringing that cast iron skillet or those cans of soup with you up those thousand foot mountains and back down them again. So you become very discerning about every single ounce of weight. In fact, I have a friend who hiked the Appalachian Trail shortly after high school, and I was followed him in, this, in his progress, and about halfway through, he actually decided to send his headlamp home. And I said, how can you go without a headlamp? He said, well, I fall asleep before the sun goes down and I wake up when the sun comes up and I found that I just never used it. He also got rid of his underwear and hiked in a kilt. He said that that was a strategic thing that he decided to do. I thought that was a little, a little you know, too much. But, but the real, that shows how disciplined he was with the whole situation. Right, these things that we think we need, we think it's gonna prepare us for what happens in the future. But if we're not discerning, If we're not discerning, some of these things that are in our life that we think are going to be invaluable to us are actually gonna be bits of of baggage for us into the future. So when we consider our lives, we think about things in the past, precious relationships, lessons we've learned, things that mom and dad have taught us, and we want that to go with us into the future. Those are valuable things. But then there are things in our past that we hold on to, like like choosing to linger the hurt of a past betrayal, and we think it's going to help us into the future, but all it does is weigh us down. And this is kind of how we've talked about this, that it keeps you from moving forward in your life. 
to being the healthiest version of yourself. And so we wanna be really careful what we allow to go with us into the future. That's why the series we're talking about is called Getting Over It, getting rid of this baggage from the past so that we can be the healthiest versions of ourselves in the future. As a matter of fact, I was talking to one of our friends that just, mo- just moved, and, and she was saying, Shay was saying, uh, I said, how are you doing? How's the house? And she said, well, I'm, I'm unpacking boxes. I feel like I can't move forward in life until my boxes are unpacked. And that's what we wanna do in this series as well. In fact, the words of the author of Hebrews kind of packs it in this way. He says this in Hebrews chapter one. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders. I'm not gonna bring that cast iron skillet. I want the titanium one. I want the least amount of baggage. I know something's gonna go through with me. I can't get rid of all of it, but I wanna be as prejudicial as I can. Let's throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles, these root of bitterness, this root of jealousy, how fear and anger, I have these conversations over and over with people as I process life in ministry, as we do life together, hurts from the past that go with us into the future. And it creates things inside of us and then what comes out of us is not always what we want and many times that would be the sinful reaction to something that happened in the past. He says, let's throw off everything. Let's get rid of that. Anything that so easily entangles and then he says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This weekend, I wanna talk about one of those areas, one of those pieces of baggage that, that is true for so many of us, and it was so true, and Jesus spent so much time talking about it. It was this topic of fear, the topic of fear, how we can keep fear from becoming baggage that keeps us from moving forward in life. Now, I don't know anybody that says, you know, I really want fear to define me. I don't know anyone that's like, you know, I just, I really would love some more anxiety in my life or some more worry. Nobody really wants that. And maybe, maybe for some of you, you're like, you know, I, I never have any fear. And the people nearby, you're like, I wish you would, could deal with a little bit more fear, a little, a little bit more caution in your life. You just kind of go with the flow of it, optimistic, just blaze a trail wherever you go. But for most of us, for most of us, there are little places, little elements, and elements of fear and worry, and they plague us in areas of relationships, They plague us in certain circumstances, environments that we might find ourselves in. And as you know, fear often, fear often robs us of opportunities. It robs us of our joy. It takes things that should be blessings right in front of us and then steals that away because all we're doing is we're thinking about this thing. What's gonna happen? How is this gonna be provided for? I can't see the blessing that's right in front of me. It impacts our relationships. I'm so afraid that they're gonna walk away that I'm gonna, I'm gonna be clingy on them, maybe too clingy, and nobody likes it when someone's clingy on them, and we end up driving that relationship away. It impacts how we parent. When, when I'm worried, when I'm in a constant state of fear about my children, I'm gonna be like Marlon in Nemo, right? Like it, I can't let anything happen to him. I, it just would be the worst thing ever, and nothing ever happens then to our kids. If nothing happens to him, then how is anything gonna happen to him, Dory says. Right? It, it impacts our marriage. It keeps us up at night. And what I've found is many times, 
Fear ends up leading to unwise decisions, and we're gonna unpack that a little bit this evening. But here's, here's what you know and what I know is that fear is not always a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing. In fact, in fact, there was a, a pastor from a church in Atlanta called North Point, and this is what he said. I thought this was really brilliant. He says that fear is actually a byproduct. It's, it's a byproduct of our ability to accumulate knowledge and then project into the future. It's something that God designed inside of us, and nobody would want to get rid of that ability we have to accumulate knowledge and then to project that in the future. That's probably one of God's greatest gifts to us, that we can learn things, pass them on to our children. That's what allows us to progress as human beings and stay away from needed places of of danger. It allows us to make progress. We are here today because there was a whole human race that was able to accumulate knowledge. And that ability to project into the future is also what gives us the opportunity to have an imagination. And none of us would want to have a world where we didn't have that ability. So many times fear can actually be a good thing. It can be a good it can show up in our parenting, like our parenting strategies. Many of us have used that like fear as a parenting strategy with our kids from time to time. But we don't want fear to run our lives and ruin our lives. We don't want fear to be the boss of us and push us around. There's a place for it, but when it's in our lives, here's what it does. It puts us off balance. It makes us the most unhealthy version of ourselves. And in many cases, it makes us some of the most self-absorbed people because all we're doing is thinking about these what-ifs in our lives. Now, what's fascinating to me, what's fascinating to me is that Jesus knew that fear can often lead to mistakes in our decision-making. It can lead to regrets when we operate from fear. Over and over again, he spoke with his disciples. In fact, many, many times as he worked with his disciples, it was getting them to this, this, like, this baseline of understanding about fear. And a bunch of times, Jesus just punched straight to the bottom line when it came to fear. And here's what he said. This is, this is amazing. Listen, he says this. He says, fear not. Fear not. Well, thank you, Jesus. I hadn't thought of that before. I'm so glad you said it so clearly. I'll, I'll just stop it. Just stop it, Jesus says. Knock it off. Quit. He would, he would say, hey, don't, don't let fear be the thing that keeps you from moving forward. Don't fear. Now, listen, listen. That's easy to say, but it's virtually impossible to live out. How do we live that out? And what's so interesting are these 12 people like you and me, these friends of Jesus who were really struggling at this intersection of what they believed about Jesus and the faith that they have in their spirit and the fear that they have in their flesh. And how do I reconcile those kinds of things? They felt the same way. They dealt with that. So what Jesus does is he gathers these 12 disciples, these people, he had a crowd of people who loved to follow the miracles, and then there were those who would say, I'm an actual follower of Jesus, his disciples. Then there were the apostles, these 12 people. He said, I'm gonna invest in you specifically, like his, his cabinet. He brings them together, and he teaches them about the kingdom of God, and what, the, what is the heart, what is the mind of God? What does it mean to be guided and directed by, by God? 
And he, and he teaches them about being humble and putting others first. And then this is what Jesus does. He, he trains them, and then he says this. He says, now that I've trained you, here's what I'm going to do. You've been here with me, and now I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out, and you're going to be my representatives on the earth. I'm, I'm going to send you out, and he says, I'm going to give you authority and all of these things that you saw me do, the authority I had, I could heal the person that was blind, I'm giving you authority, and now you get to go, and you get to heal the person. How cool would that be? That would be, that would be rad if you had like that. They had that ability, they had that authority to move forward and bless others that way. And then this is what Jesus tells them as he sends them out. Listen, listen to what he says. This is Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Open your Bible. Have it open. You need to read before and after all this stuff. We go fast through this stuff, but you need to have your Bible. Matthew 10, it says this. He says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. As sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, that's weird because we don't live around a lot of sheep and a lot of wolves. <laughs> but let's just say, like, when those two mix, it doesn't go well. I was visiting a friend who lives on a farm, and as we were going in the front door, there was like a half of a chicken, <laughs> and not from the grocery store, <laughs> just like on the ground right there, and I was like, what, why is there a half of a chicken? Our dog got the taste for chickens, and now they just like kill chickens all day long, right? When, when the wolves and the sheep come together, it's not a pretty thing, and so this is what he says, I'm sending you out, you're going to be in the world, be careful. Be careful, there's wolves, so, so be wise as serpents, be innocent as doves. You're going to be surrounded, you're going to have legitimate sources of danger on your person. There's going to be legitimate sources of threats upon you. You're going to be taken to court, he says, you're gonna be legally punished, you're gonna be physically accosted, your family is gonna deny you, but he says, be wise about it. I want you to be wise, don't be an idiot, don't be foolish, so he would say things like this, like, you're gonna go and you're gonna tell people about the kingdom, and then when they reject it, it's okay, walk away. Shake the dust off your feet, go find somewhere that will listen to what you have to say. And then Jesus, this is what he does, this is what's so fascinating. Jesus reminds them this. He says, just like I have a connection to God, and God gave me authority to go and bless people and tell people about the kingdom of God, I'm giving that authority to you. You're going to be a little Christ in your community. And the same way that they oppress me, the same way that they persecute me, Jesus would say, you're going to experience that as well because you're coming with my authority. The same way that, that God was with me, gave me authority, I'm giving it to you. The same way, now listen, the same way that God was with me and guided and direct me, I want him to guide and direct you as well. So here's what that means. It means the same way that God loves me, God's gonna love you as well. In the same way that God's present in my suffering, God's gonna be present in your suffering. You are tied to me. 
Jesus says. And so that is the power. Okay, listen, this is the, this is the power behind what he says next. It doesn't make sense unless we understand that tie that Jesus makes. This is what he says. Verse 26, he says, so have no fear of them. Have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that won't be revealed. There are things going on that they're not even going to understand. Now, what's interesting is the words behind covered and revealed, it's the root word that we get the word apocalypse from. And we're going to talk about that in like two or three weeks from now. We're going to start a, uh, a study in the book of Revelation. Uh, it's gonna be, it's, I'm, I'm so excited about that. Come back for that. It's going to be amazing after our birthday party. But what he's saying is there's this going to be a, 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 a a curtain that's going to be pulled back and people are going to finally see what you understand. For nothing is covered that won't be revealed and hidden that won't be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. Be bold, be confident. What God has given me, I give to you. God is with me, God is with you. He loves me, he's going to love you as well. And what you hear, whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And don't fear those Listen, this is it. And don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is Jesus saying? Why is he talking about that? See, it sounds weird. What he's saying is this. Jesus would say, hey, your life is so much more than just your body. Who you are as a person is so much more than just your body because your body is maybe 80 years if you're strong. What God has in store for you is 80 million years. You are more than your body that you worry about. You are, you are so much more than just your reti- retirement account. Your life is more than just your retirement account. Because Everyone's body is is someday going to expire. No one's 401k lasts forever. You are so much more than just a parent because someday your kids are gonna grow up. You wanna know how I know? Because that's happened for the thousands and thousands of years we've been around. They're gonna grow up. They're gonna be parents. They're, by God's grace, gonna be grandparents someday. They're gonna be in the same place that you're at. Your, Your life is so much more than just your parenting. Even, even the healthiest body gets sick. Even the most vaccinated person is eventually gonna catch a bug sometime. Your life is so much more than just that stuff. What happens here, what happens is just a moment. And don't you know that, that God is more powerful than any of those things? He has more power over your life. Don't you know that God can preserve you, that he can save you, that he loves you? This person that you're tied to now through me loves you, and he's gonna preserve your very soul as well. You know, some people would say that fear is the opposite of faith. I'd say kinda. I would say technically, technically, fear is faith. It's just faith in the wrong kinds of things. It's believing in the, in the what ifs, in the unknowns of the future. What if bad things happen to me? 
What if my spouse gets sick? What if my kids don't get in the daycare? What if I never recover from this thing? What if I can never pay this car off? What if we never get our medical debt taken care of? What if my mom never leaves me alone? What if I never get this job? Have you ever noticed that everyone says, what if bad things happen? Like, not many people say, what if good things happen? What if I win the lottery, you know? That's a different kind of conversation, maybe. But it's usually these bad things. And listen, fear is just misplaced faith. It's putting faith in those things, those what ifs, the wrong things. And Jesus would say, hey, if you're going to fear something, fear the right thing and not the wrong thing. Because these things that have a tendency to grip my heart and grip your heart, they only have so much power. God has so much more power than them. Than them. So fear God. Fear God, he would say. The challenge with that language, when we hear someone say, fear God, is it makes it feel like God is somehow oppressive, negative, sinister. I don't know what, we're just like, this can feel gnarly about that. But biblically speaking, the concept of fear can mean a couple different things. It can mean being frightened of a situation. Frightened of a situation. I, I uh, spent a lot of time out Midwest, and many times in the late spring, storms would roll through. And I remember we would love to watch these electrical storms brew and roll across the plains. And so you'd go out and you would watch them. There they are, they're in the distance. Isn't that fun? Look at them. And they come your way. And all of a sudden, this huge storm front is coming up. And all of a sudden, you feel really small. And you start having these thoughts like, I think I should go inside and I should cover I should duck and cover because this is going to get dicey and it's going to get dicey quick. This is powerful. This is strong. It's a frightening situation. But it can also mean to respect someone, to respect someone that you're faithfully serving, to look at them, to admire them. It also means to denote reverence and awe when, you, when you're in the presence of something or someone that's great and you're like, man, I am in the presence of greatness right now. You guys probably feel that way every weekend when you come and get to experience this, you know? Don't laugh. That's not, that's not funny. All right. Thank you, Chris. It, it's not just God is oppressive. It is he is awesome and he is wonderful. And listen, he is not a care bear to be trifled with. He is, he is awesome and fearful, and being in awe of that is the right reaction. But listen to how Jesus describes the heart and mind of God because he doesn't go on to say, here's how oppressive he is. Listen to what, how he describes God, not as a punisher, but as a provider. He says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and I was like, I don't know, I've never tried to sell sparrows, but for them, I guess they could buy sparrows in their market, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In our garage, we have had ongoing problems with mice getting into our house, and so I found what's worked well are these glue traps, and I'll put glue traps down in our garage. One day I was walking through in the garage door. We leave them open a lot of times. Um, and the garage door was open and I walk into the house and I see the glue trap kind of moving and wiggling about. I'm like, oh, I caught a mouse. 
But as I went and looked at the glue trap, it actually was a little sparrow that got caught. I know, all right? And this poor little sparrow, he wasn't trying to get in my house. He just was trying to get some bugs that were on there. And he got stuck and could not get out. And so Coda and I spent about 10 minutes carefully prying each of his delicate little gossamer claws that were stuck in this thick goop and eventually freed him and took him out under the lawn. We felt good about ourselves, didn't we, Coda? That was a good thing that we did. I don't know if that sparrow ended up dying after that. All I could do is care for it and release it. But God, God knows. It says that not one of them falls down apart from the love of, of God. And he says this, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And some of you right now are going, right now are going I wish I had more numbered hairs on my head. I could go with some of that. Uh, he says, even the hairs on your head are all numbered, so fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Fear not. And listen, listen, this is so important. The reason Jesus says fear not to his disciples is not because, don't you worry, this too will pass. You got this. You're gonna, you're gonna knock them dead. You got, no, no, no. He doesn't say fear not because of a what or circumstance that's going to change. That's not what he says. He says fear not because of a who. There is a who involved. God loves you. He counts the hairs on your head. Who is with you? If God is for us, who can be against us? The all-powerful, ever-present, all-knowing God cares for you, and he's gonna carry you through, and he's gonna sustain you. And he would say, hey, listen, listen. I know that what you're going through is legit, and I'm not turning that down, but don't let the things that have such little power have power over you. Not when my God is involved. Not when the same authority that I've been given is in you. Not when I know you're gonna go through it and what you're being oppressed by, they're not just oppressing you, they're oppressing me. And the same way that God loves me, he loves you and he's going to be present with you. So if you're experiencing fear, that's not from God. God would, God would say, fear not, I am with you. I care about you so much more than those sparrows. This is why 2 Timothy says this. He says, God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control or sound mind. For the spirit God gave us doesn't make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. So fear is not from God, 2 Timothy would say. Fear is from our spiritual enemy. God is the source. He is our authority. He is present. He is all-knowing. He is powerful. He is with us. He is not the source. He is not the source of fear. So listen, when we, when we think about this intersection between our faith and our fear, and how do we flesh all of that out? Because we're going to walk through life and Jesus would say, you're gonna go through stuff, and he's not turning that down. How do we understand it? How do we understand that? 
I want you to just consider a couple things here as we kind of pivot and maybe reflect a little bit more about how fear is true in our hearts and in our lives. That what you fear, that what you fear is, is actually what you value the most. What you fear shows you what you value the most. For example, if I fear losing my marriage, it shows that I value my marriage. That's not a bad thing. It's not a wrong thing. If I fear something happening to my children, it shows that I really value my children. Again, it's not a bad thing. If you fear losing your job or losing your money, what you value is financial security and stability. What you fear reveals what you value. And here's the second thing. What you fear reveals where you trust God the least. What you fear reveals where you trust God the least. So, for example, if, I'm, if you're really worried about what happens to your marriage, then what you're saying is, God, I don't know that I can trust you with what happens in my marriage. If you're saying, God, I, 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 I think I trust you with my kids, but there's just this worry there. Are, are they going to make it through this thing? Are they going to get this scholarship? Are they going to make it into college? Are they ever going to be potty trained? Will they get accepted to the school? I just have to contribute my worry and my fear into this thing because ultimately, God, I don't trust that you're looking out for them and that you care for them as much as I do. So I'm gonna contribute in my fears and my worrying. If, we're trust, if we say, hey, we're trusting God with our finances, God, I trust you with my finances, but you know what? Right now, things are kind of tight, so I, I can't give to God's kingdom because you know, I, I, I just can't let that much of it go. I gotta hold on to it close. What, I, what I'm saying is I don't trust God with that, that he can't possibly provide for me right now if I step into generosity in this area. So I've gotta contribute my worry and my control and my fear into that. What you fear shows where you trust God the least. So I just want to ask a question, and each of you just need to be brutally honest with yourself. And fill in the blank here. I'm not trusting God with what? I'm not trusting God with, and you fill in the blank. What is it? Is it your children? Is it your marriage? Is it your future? Is it your finances? To someone you love? Is it your aging parents? Is it your tax bill? What, whatever it is, I'm not trusting God with what? And I would encourage you to put it onto paper, put pen to paper, and write down what that thing is. Own your fear. Own your fear. This last week, as I've been processing this, how God kind of spoke into my heart is this area of unique fear for where we're at right now as a family because we're in this weird pivot point where I have, I have a child who's getting ready to go off into college, and so we're starting to think about college-level expenses, and I have another child who's doing a missions trip, and, and they're starting to drive, so now there's like the taxes of all, and excuse me, the insurance costs of all of that kind of stuff, and, and, and now there's like, like 7% inflation, which means basically a 7% pay cut for everybody unless they do automatic uptick on all that kind of stuff. And, and, so, and so I've just had this constant kind of fear about cash flow. And so we start asking, well, where, can we, where should we cut back and how can we do this thing? And maybe I need to just, you know, like rein in this and rein in that. And how can I control it? And it just started to be this kind of consuming thing for me. And you know what? Jennifer and I, um, a few nights ago, we just started talking and thinking like, 
We've been in this place before. <laughs> We've been in this place before where we were like, God, how can we possibly afford a place to stay in our first ministry apartment? And then we told ourselves the story about how God provided our first home and how it wasn't huge or lovely, but it was our home. And I had a little porch on the front, and I had this tree, and the kids got to play, and we got to go for walks at the university across the street, and just how much joy there was in that space. And how step after step, and moment after moment, all these things that we were so worried and fearful about, God provided for, and there was blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. We just rolled tape about it. Every step, we were worried about the future, and God... God provided for us every time. We just needed to remind ourselves about his presence in our lives. And God was showing me, hey, what I was fearful about was showing me what I really value. And what I was fearful about was showing me where I really failed to trust in him. But God hasn't given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of self-control. So what do we do with these fearful emotions that naturally show up along the way? What do we do with these things? I, I want to I challenge you with this, that we would acknowledge your fear, that you would act with wisdom, and then you would choose to trust God. Acknowledge your fear, act with wisdom, and then choose, consciously choose to trust in God. So we would acknowledge it. You're not just going to say, la, 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 I don't have any fears, and put your head in the, in the sand. Not, not that. You're going to be honest about it. Why? Because your fears are showing you something about your heart. Maybe there's an idol in there that you need to own. Maybe there's some area where you're not choosing to trust in God. So you're going to be honest about it. God, right now, I'm really having a hard time trusting that you're going to provide what we need to care for my in-laws when they eventually need to move in. God, I, I don't trust you that you're really going to provide for my child, and I feel afraid that he's going to be safe enough at school. And then, this is what we're going to do. We're going to act with wisdom. That's why he says, be wise as serpents and innocence as Doves. We're going to operate with wisdom. So if there's reasonable things that you can do to be wise in the situations that you're in with your finances, with your relationships, be wise about it. Here's what I found to be true in my life. When I'm operating in fear, it almost always leads to bad decisions. Almost always. It's why I wore hammer pants in junior high. <laughs> right? It almost always leads to bad decisions. I'm afraid that if, if I don't protect my own turf in this marriage, then, then this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and what if, what if, and so now I become defensive, and I push that person away, and now I'm not vulnerable. I'm not making myself vulnerable before God, and so now this thing that could have gone in a, in a good way when you were humble before God, now you're proud, and so it starts to twist and turn and goes in a, an unwise way and a tragic direction because we were operating by fear. Now, lately, I've, I've heard this term, I've used it too, and it, this concept kind of made me pause and maybe reconsider how I would use it, but there are many times where, where we would use the term an abundance of caution, an abundance of caution. Because of an abundance of caution, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. 
and I would just maybe change that slightly and say, out of wisdom, here's what I need to do. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is what's the right decision in light of who I am, where I am, and where I want to be. In light of who I am, where I am, and where I want to be. Here's what can happen. Out of an abundance of caution, I could say, well, someone can hurt me somewhere, sometime, so I'm going to be a hermit in the woods and never talk to anyone, be around anyone, risk relationship with anyone. That's an abundance of caution, but it's an absence of wisdom, too, right? Because who am I? Well, I like being around people. I'm, I'm a musician. I need to make music with other people. I'm a child of God. That means that I need to spend time around the people of God. So who I am is gonna influence the kind of decisions that I make. But you know what else is true? Where I am. Right now, I have to care for my mother-in-law, and she is immunocompromised. So wisdom would say, I need to be careful about that. Do you see that? you see how that's, that's not throwing caution to the wind, and it's not being bound by caution. It's applying wisdom and where I want to be. Well, I, I wanna go on a cruise in three weeks, and so I need to change some things about my life in order to do that. That's wisdom. It's not an abundance of caution. We need to act with wisdom, and then we acknowledge our fear, act with wisdom, and then we, we choose to trust God in that area. We make a conscious decision. By faith, God, I choose to trust in you. I'm gonna trust that you love me, I'm gonna trust that you're with me, and I can walk into the future without fear because I know that this is not all there is, that there's so much more than that. Let me show you an example of that quickly. Uh, king David was um, anointed king over Israel, uh, but Saul was still the king, and he didn't like the fact that David was anointed the king, and so there was this big collision, and Saul was actually trying to kill David, and he, David wrote this in Psalm 56. This is what he said. He said, when I am afraid, and I love it because he just acknowledges it. When I am afraid, God, I am afraid. There it is. I'm afraid because of this. I can be honest. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. By faith, I choose to do that. Now, here's what I love about this, and the psalmists are so good at this. He speaks to himself more than he listens to himself. Let me say that again. He speaks to himself more than he listens to himself. And some of us spend a whole lot of time listening to our own heart rather than speaking to our own heart. And the psalmist over and over again will say this, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Not, woe is me, I just feel like a turd, no one loves me. No, that's listening to myself. Speaking to myself is saying, God, you are faithful and you are good and you are true. O my soul, praise him. I will put my trust in him. I'm gonna speak to my soul more than I'm gonna listen to it. He says, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I choose to trust in God. What can mere mortals do to me? Quite honestly, they can kill them. They can capture them. They can torture them. They can do all sorts of things. But David went about thinking about it, and he says, I'm not going to think just temporarily. I'm going to think eternally. And ultimately, listen, if I choose to trust the God of the universe with my whole life holding nothing back, it means that there is nothing anyone can do to hurt me. Suddenly, suddenly, the worst things that we can think about pale in comparison to the loving kindness of God 
in his faithfulness to us. But what if, but what if this, but what if this, but what if this? One of my favorite stories um, comes, uh, about this comes from Beth Moore. She writes uh, a lot of Bible studies. She's a Bible teacher. She's quite gifted. And she was talking about how God helped her conquer her what-if fears. What if this? Because she found that she was just completely bound up by fear, conquered by it in certain areas of her life. And she started a conversation with God, and God said, I want to walk you into the deep waters of your fear, and I, want to, I, I just want you to press into the, if this happens, then what? If this happens, then what? She was afraid that she would lose her husband. She was specifically paralyzed. What if something happens to him? What if he gets sick and dies? What if he gets hit by a car? What if he travels on a plane and it goes down? Like, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And she started to imagine that. What if I lose my husband? She said she felt like God said, okay, let's go there. What if you lose your husband? I would be completely devastated and I would be completely numb and I would collapse onto the ground in a ball of goo and my friends would have to peel me off the floor to carry me to a funeral and I would have no ability to even plan it or respond to anyone. I'd be completely undone. I'd have to rely on my pastor to take care of the whole service. I would have nothing. Okay, then what? And then I would go and I would visit his head, the tombstone, and I would talk to him and I would fall on the ground and I would collapse and I would just cry and I would cry. And then what? And I would go home and I would barely get dressed any day and I would just be a pile of goo on the floor and I would cry and I would cry and I would cry and I would cry. Whole months would go past. Okay, then what? And I would get up and I would make breakfast and then I would fall to the ground again and I would cry and I would cry and I would cry some more. And God, I would shake my fist at you. And then what? And then what? And then I would finally open your word and bury my nose in your book. And I would cry out to you and I would say, why God? And you would speak to me in the middle of my pain. And you would be faithful and true like you have every other time. And then I would finally put myself together and I would finally hang out with a friend and tell them about the pain that I'm experiencing. And I would cry some more. And then I would turn around and I would tell people about how God faithfully walked through the valley with me in the shadow of the valley of death. She said, and God said, exactly, exactly. So go ahead and go down that, go down that trail of the what ifs. What if my child, what if my child isn't safe all the time? What if something happens to them? Well, okay, we'll respond to that. We'll show up at the hospital, we'll Walk that pathway. What if the diagnosis overtakes me? Well, okay. I'll feel really angry and, and God will walk it through with me and, and you'll be faithful. And, and, and what if he or she leaves me? 
well, I'm gonna be really lonely and my source of identity was found in that place and I won't have an identity anymore and God, you're gonna have to rebuild that and, and, and now half my income's gone because they have half the stuff and now what am I gonna, well, okay, go down that pathway. What if? And at the end of it, every time is God's faithfulness. Every time is God's faithfulness. What can mortal men do to you when you fully trust yourself into the hands of God. What you fear reveals what you value the most. What you feel reveals where you trust God the least. But God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Here's what I know, guys. I've just had so many conversations with y'all of knowing real fears and challenges that that you guys are walking through, that we all walk through. So we don't, don't, I'm not treating anything in a light way. Please know that. Uh, I don't want to be trite about anything. Jesus wasn't. When I am afraid, we're honest about it. We seek wisdom. God, how, how can I be wise in this situation? And then we trust in him. That's our goal. That's our goal. Will you pray with me? And then, and then we're, we're gonna, we purposefully decided to spend some more time in worship than maybe normal as a response of our heart. And, and my goal would be that in this time of worship, that, that we're letting our heart do the what ifs. And that God would respond with a, then I will be faithful. And you can trust, you can trust in me. Because I'm bigger than all of that stuff. Will you, will you pray with me at this time? God, I've seen fear do some nasty stuff in my heart and cause some of the biggest regrets of my life. Things I wish I could go back and do differently. God, thanks that you're present with us in the, uh, in the storms that we walk through, in the challenges that we find ourselves in. Thank you, God, that you don't condemn us for feeling afraid, but you direct our hearts to put our trust and our hope in you. God, as we worship, would you bring those things to the, the surface and allow us, God, to be honest with you? God, show us the path of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. So would we choose to fear you and worship you and that worship is the proper response of speaking to our own heart. Sit in your place as you stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords who holds your hand, your life in the palm of your hands, who knows every breath you're gonna take, who loves your spouse more than you do, who cares for you, who knows the, the hairs on your head by number, who loves your child more than you do who knows how many grandkids you're gonna have and how many grandkids they're gonna have, who stands over time and declares his faithfulness and steadfastness over us. God, would your song of faithfulness surround us here in this place? And for those who have been bound by fear, would you release it in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus, release and replace it with just a steadfast presence, a sense of your, your presence in their lives. I love you, God. I praise you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.